0: Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, our contributing editor, Michael Heiss, joins us from his home in Los Angeles to talk about the recent Consumer Electronics Show and some of the latest TV technology developments and other smart home products that he thinks are worth knowing about. After attending CES virtually last year, Mike made it back in person to Las Vegas this year. He was there, so you and I didn't have
1: to be. I'm paying the price.
0: (laughs) Following a few days of rest from what is always a hectic event. Today, we'll talk about broader TV technology trends, breaking it down a bit brand by brand, as well as learn a bit about more of the gadgets and goofiness that always make an in-person trip to CES so unique. There's no one better suited to do this than our guest today, who is not only a CDF Fellow and Lifetime Achievement Award recipient, but also one of the foremost experts on consumer and broadcast video technology. Michael Heiss, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks,
1: Jeremy. Yeah, I'm I'm still sort of in the fog of CES, uh, paying the price. I didn't get COVID, but um, uh, six days at CES was just about enough. I went oh so God. you don't have to.
0: That's right. <laughs> I have stopped going to that event because I don't have the stamina for it. And you're older than I am. So I'm, I'm impressed that you made it through uh, in one piece. So congratulations Thank there. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what was different about this year's CES experience for you? You mentioned there's some uh, venue changes and things like that. I'm sure some of that would be interesting to our listeners who have attended CES and some will just be bored by it. But let's dive in there and uh sure. then we can get into the product
1: for those who have been to uh, ces uh and i did not go last year and the year before that as everyone knows it was virtual um there is the new west hall which looks like it was lifted up out of a european airport and plopped down uh in las vegas they've moved where the car people used to be into that hall then the south hall which is the two-level thing where you saw a lot of the little Chinese guys and, uh, you know, a little bit more um, networky stuff, didn't use that at all. So it was the main central hall that everybody knows, the North Hall and the West Hall. They claim over 115,000 attendees, but unaudited. I will reserve my judgment. The aisle's Weren't empty, but they weren't crowded. Um, but everybody seemed to everybody seemed to be happy, and um, there did appear to be enough uh, people uh, in terms of exhibitors that nobody was disappointed. All the majors were there. The only ones that weren't there to be uh, sort of honest honest are the car guys: GM, Ford, uh, VW, Porsche, Audi, and Mercedes were not there. The West Hall, where the car stuff was, was a strange mixture of Stellantis, which is Chrysler or the old Chrysler, and a lot of B2B stuff, a lot of AI and a lot of stuff that you'll see later on in cars, but nothing you can buy. But I'm glad I went.
0: And is there no longer a a use of the Sands Convention Center? Oh, I forgot the
1: Sands. Yeah. The Sands was there and downstairs was the Eureka Park, which um, was as big as it was before, but it was almost all the French pavilion, the, uh, the Israeli pavilion, the British pavilion, the Singapore pavilion. There was one guy, Senegal Numerique, and all of that stuff is cool, but what I found missing were all the startup guys where being at Eureka Park was like the next step after a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, it was all government subsidized, and I didn't really, to be honest, you've seen one, you've seen them all. I, I was a little disappointed in that. Upstairs, there was a lot of food tech, health tech, uh, those kinds of things. Oh, yeah, and and well, I'm sorry. One thing that goes to the uh, one of the video trends is in the CES innovations, which is their you know product of the year kind of thing there wasn't one television. There wasn't one AVR. There were very few audio-centric devices. That's neither good nor bad. It's telling about where what we used to call the consumer electronics industry and the show by extension are going.
0: And I have to ask before we get into the product stuff and the broader trends, did you take the Tesla drive under the yes, tunnel did. through the tunnel? Yes, I did. And where does that go? Where does it come from? Where does it go? I can't figure that out. Actually, I
1: first uh, took it when I was out in uh, Vegas for both NAB and Infocom. There's one station where you go down the escalators in front of the main, good old fashioned main hall. You go okay. from there to the new West Hall, and then they've extended it up. the resorts world which is further up on the strip it also goes to the south hall but the south hall uh, wasn't open during this show so it was cool And, and when i was there in uh june for infocom it was a heck of a lot better than 110 degree heat uh walking from one hall to another it was cool you
0: know. And you logistically, otherwise, it's it, it wasn't terrible for you because that's been my big biggest headache, literally every time I've gone to see well, just getting from point to point A to point B.
1: Well, it's interesting. I expected with one hundred fifteen thousand reported uh, attendees, there would be lines out the you know up the tunnel, if you will, and there weren't. But again, for those of you who are familiar uh, with the Vegas Convention Center, to walk from the main hall. Across Paradise, over to this West Hall, it's um, it would make my cardiologist pleased that I did it. But <laughs> other than that, it was tiring. So the okay. Tesla thing was, yeah, it's interesting.
0: And let's talk broader trends now. So you, 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 uh, as you like to do, you, you do the AI sh- matter schmatter stuff, and I, I, I get all lost in what which ones we're talking about. So Neither maybe sort of walk, uh,
1: that's the point. It, there was a lot of AI. Separate that from AR, VR, XR, MR. Everything AI this, it's the buzzword. It's almost, for those of you who are old enough, remember digital-ready speakers? Mm-hmm. Speakers aren't digital-ready. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of usage of AR, but I think my uh, uh, theme for the show, it's not about what it is. It's about what it does, or it's Mm -hmm. not how it does it. It's that it does it. And there were some useful applications of AI in terms of predicting things, but it'll mostly become a background uh, application. In terms of VR, AR, MR, XR, Sony did show their um, PlayStation VR headset uh, TCL showed a really cool uh, AR glasses, which if, when they bring out, I'm going to try and get and, and review, where it not only lets you look through the glasses and see things in AR in front of you, but it does subtitles. Like if you go to the opera and it's Italian and they have the, um, the subtitles above the screen, here it projects it in the bottom of the glasses. Um as a translation. Uh, they wouldn't let you try it on. That was very cool. And I will confess I'm a bit of a chicken. I did not try on the Sony uh VR headset because there's still enough pandemic that I'm not trying yeah. on a VR headset at a trade show. But everybody oh, I'm with you there. everybody tried it said it was it was very good and a dramatic improvement over the original one. So uh that was uh, you know that was the extent of that. I think the real uh, true birth of that will come with the Sony thing, um, you know, with the stuff that Meta is still doing, and eventually, maybe later this year, when Apple comes out with theirs, but we'll see.
0: What about the AI stuff? So, where did you see that applied that made sense?
1: Well, it was AI to guess your room conditions, AI mm-hmm. to analyze health. There was a lot of health tech, food tech. Um, you know, the AI toy, well, no, the toilet wasn't AI. That was, that was all sensors. But, um, in terms of trying to predict what in years ago we used to call fuzzy logic. It knows Mm -hmm. what I've done and it can take what I've done and where I am and what's around me to try and figure out what I want to, to do. And, that's going to come up gradually. It'll take time for people to acclimate it. So it's here in all the TV manufacturers. We're using AI to make the picture brighter because we've used AI to analyze the content and the audio and adjust it accordingly. And you might even like the way it looks. And and typically you did. But I think the consumer um, still needs to figure out what this is And in an era when everybody's concerned about privacy, I think that when AI really becomes uh, widely used everywhere, then people have to get over, not that it's predicting what I'm going to do, but that it knows what I'm going to do from a uh, privacy standpoint. But it was there. It was everywhere.
0: Well, we will continue our conversation with Michael Heiss after the break.
1: Do you want superior
0: smart home automation at a great value? Shelly Wi-Fi relays by Alterco Robotics cover DC to line voltage, allowing you to control lights, outlets, appliances, garage doors, pumps, and much more. There are Shelly sensors and power measurement devices to help you measure temperature, humidity, lux, or motion, and electrical consumption from single wire to three phase with neutral. You can use Shelly with a licensed driver for Control 4, Elon, or other premium systems, as well as your customer's existing hub, voice assistant, or any platform that accepts REST, MQTT, or COAP. Shelly can make IoT very easy. Available now at Blackwire, City Electric Supply, and Worthington, or at ShellyUSA.com. Welcome back. I'm talking with Michael Heiss, contributing editor to Residential Tech today and michael uh the the key to your coverage for me is always the video stuff and uh I don't want to miss any more fun little gadgety things we can maybe circle back to some of those toward the end but let's dive into video and you you were talking about something that I kind of observed at CEDIA as well which was the the real focus area of uh TV manufacturers creating monitors for gaming and how those sort of overlap or cross over with regular TVs now because they're just so big. And the, the one that you mentioned curved, and I one of the observations that you had put in one of your articles, and I finally got to see at Cedia <clears throat> Expo, was the Samsung one that curves around you me- mechanically, oh, or, or you the can go LG flat. Or the LG
1: one that actually is a little motorized, and it will bend in and out.
0: Oh, that's what... That's the one, the LG. I'm getting yeah, mixed up. Yeah, Samsung well, no, The LG. Samsung
1: okay. one was the big wide one that rotates around. But I think yeah, where right. the average user, consumer, um, installer, designer will see this is that on the one, what I call the monitorization of TVs and the TVization of monitors, all of the TV brands, and this is now into the second year of this, featured things like VRR and uh, faster refresh rates and response time as key p- features that they're promoting in their TV sets. And those are almost exclusively aimed at gamers. So the TV sets are getting those features uh, promoted. Uh, you know, 144 uh, hertz sets were not unusual. There were prototypes in some early uh, uh examples of sets with 240 uh, hertz. So that's in response to the rise of games with Xbox and PS5, as well as consoles. But on the flip side, it's monitors that are more acting like TV sets. And I think you saw some of those at CD as well, where some of the monitors had Um, LG's had webOS built in or more than one input and even a remote so that it's actually a three-tiered thing. It's not a little 21-inch or 24-inch monitor, which is what I'm using here. It's a broader monitor for regular computing, business computing, creation computing, gaming, and, and again, going back to business all in one. And the curved thing is coming back to really immerse you into what you're doing, not for a game, but I've got two 24-inch monitors here, and I'm looking at you in one, but if I want to look at the other, i got to go like that. And that's Mm -hmm. distracting to me and distracting to the other uh, person that's involved. But where you've got a big monitor, you're looking dead in. And I think Mm -hmm. that that, along with the multiple HDMI outputs, it's all going to blend together and at the end of the day, become a function of what is it that the consumer wants to do? And then you have to determine which is best set to do that. Monitors are not going away. They're changing.
0: Okay. And you, you mentioned quite a bit about LG. Um, let's talk about what, what they did that was unique. Uh, you, well, what, what is it about the wireless well, uh, feature gonna, that you mentioned? I'm
1: going to lump the two of the big wireless finger quotes things at CES, where a company, a startup company down in San Diego called Displace, and I, of course, walked up to them in my own imagine uh, inimitable fashion and says, "What is Displace?" but they have no <laughs> sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that everybody watching this has read about it or seen it and I'll write something up and and I'm sure we'll put it up in in uh, ResTech today. It, the this place before I get to LG is a real true wireless set. You could do the old magician sh- trick and run a hula hoop around it. No connections whatsoever. It's got four big honker batteries two in each side, and it's got a, a hub station, which they did not show, that is where you connect things, and it connects to, connects to the TV to transfer the source material over to the display. But since it's wireless, and they said it's about uh, 20 pounds, and it's a 55-inch 4K OLED, you can literally take it and jam it up against the wall, And it's got a uh, uh, vacuum-driven suction thing on the back. And sure as heck, it did stick against the wall. I wouldn't put it against brick, but they did demo it, of course, on smooth surfaces and on somewhat patterned uh, surfaces. It's $3,000 and it's a 55-inch TV set. Is it cool? Yeah. Um, But wait a minute, it's a 55-inch... 4K set and it's three thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, and they were it's a startup and they were very sort of evasive. Does it have Dolby Vision? Does it have this? Does it have that? Um, It is a smart TV, uh, but it's it's a it's a I think to some extent it's a parlor trick. And Mm. then they said you can take four of them and do a two by two array and make it into an 8K set or a for nine thousand dollars, I can buy a real AK set with no bezels in the middle. So it's an interesting concept, and I give them a lot of credit for it. It's so not going to be available until December, and um, you know we'll see if that. There are people that will clearly want it. It's an interesting idea, but the people want it. The LG. I wonder.
0: I wonder if it's something that would be acquired by a bigger. Brand that could be incorporated. In well, but that would be system. the.
1: Te- There's nothing that's in this set, and clearly, without knowing any of the patent situations, any of the major brands, you know, could get some interns to do this. I mean, it's not. Uh, maybe that's okay. not fair, but it's <laughs> okay. it's not something that if a Samsung, LG, Sony, uh, TCL, Hisense, Vizio, if they wanted to do this, presuming that the display stuff didn't have any of this pan protected. There's no big barrier to do it. The LG thing, that was a lot different. It was, well, it was somewhat different. It was an LG TV set with their latest and greatest web OS, for which for all of their sets, they've made a dramatic improvement in terms of the usability of the interface. But where that is wireless is, it's a TV. It's a 97-inch TV, and, and it's an OLED. It's big and it's really good. Where do you plug stuff in? There's a little box that sits on the side. You plug your stuff into the box. You plug the box into the wall. And the wireless is the communication between, if you remember the Samsung, um, I forget the name of the hub that they had uh, in the CD market a couple of years ago, that was connected by fiber to the display. So the display could be thinner because it didn't have the tuner or anything else in it and
0: right for like the frame tvs exactly so Mm
1: -hmm. picture that wire cut and the stuff still plugged into this you know uh, uh hub and it goes uh wirelessly using a proprietary wireless um uh technology in full 4k 120 hertz the whole the whole deal over the tv It's an interesting concept. And again, as in everything, as you go up into the custom market, there are people who will want it. One of the uh, interesting things in it is on the top, there was what looks like a turntable that you spun around. And that was to orient the off-air antenna for better reception. Hmm. But then I asked them if it was ATSC 3.0, and they said they haven't figured it out. They haven't decided yet. Of course, they figured it out. So those were both... Uh, interesting to the point where the popular press has really become fascinated by those things
0: now you'd for that lg um, tv you'd still deal with a power cord though correct yeah
1: yeah you got to well, the it is powered in that you need to plug the tv into the wall and a big oled consumes i'm sure more power than a 55 inch uh um set that OLED that the displaced people are using. So you'd need even more batteries. But to a certain extent, for a set that's that big, you're not going to want to hang it on the wall unless you're, mm. if you want that. So there's the dilemma. The For that size set, for a considerably a cheaper price, you can get an ultra short throw. And both mm-hmm. Hisense sense. And um, Samsung had 8K short throws. Short throws, um, as we saw at Cedia, are an increasingly uh, growing part of the uh, display community. Um, so it's a question of, do you want a big screen? There are big screens galore. You know, Hisense uh, showed a 110 inch 8K set. But that goes into my old thing of, but how do you get it in the room? It bends right. in the middle once. <laughs> uh, if <laughs> right. you remember the original uh, Panasonic 103-inch plasma back in the day, had there were yep. people that had to build a room around the TV. So for that <laughs> size, you might want to go to micro LED or standard projection or UST. And I think that UST is really uh, coming into its own.
0: Yeah, so uh, ultra short throw definitely po- getting more and more popular. I was a little uh, unsure of it when it first came out. I didn't uh, get, get the uh, the benefit, but now I'm starting to see it improve to the point where it looks like- a 50, It's a thing. You know, a, a regular it's teenage. a real yeah. thing
1: because initially a lot of people would associate an ultra short throw as the thing over the whiteboard in your kid's classroom or in the boardroom mm. for that more uh, industrial, educational, commercial- uh, type of application, but th- they were there from major brands and they were there from the second and third tier brands. And the fact that the second and third tier brands were uh, showing them shows that it's become a viable uh, category because it was worth being knocked off. Right. And and even at, an, at a different end of the spectrum, uh, Leica, the camera people, the very famous camera people, had their own yeah. ultra short throw. And it's sort of curious. I, I got the press releases and they said, you know, please come look at it. And I said, surely I will. And I'm marching around the, sh- the floor to rack up my 25 miles during the course <laughs> of my stay to find it. And I couldn't find it. And I'm wandering around again. And I was in the Hisense booth. And then I look to the side and I go, damn, it's in the Hisense booth. And they were not shy about it to their credit. It is about $3,000 more than a, you know, typically comparable uh, short throw, but it has Leica optics and it's in a really cool, you know, milled aluminum kind of uh, case. So unlike some of the short throws where they get sunk down into the uh, furniture, And you just see the uh, aperture pointing up. This was meant to be displayed, you know, the kind of Mm. work of art. And was the picture better than the guts of a high sense or anything else uh, comparable that were in it? Hard to tell because you certainly couldn't see them side by side, but it was very impressive. So, you know, that's part of the market that we're in. So I'm sure that that will uh, find a home in, in the market. But it was interesting to see so they did, went
0: there. So they partnered with Hisense on on some of the internal guts yeah, of the, the gu- product. The
1: electronic guts—a save, I'm sure, for some tweaking. But the mm-hmm. electronic guts are Hisense. The mm-hmm. optics are Leica, and again, that's okay. what they're there for.
0: An industrial design. Oh, is to be sure, to be sure. Like I mean, it was very.
1: Attraction. It was a very handsome looking piece. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Is it something that is worth it? That's up to the budget and the person buying it.
0: What about T uh, TCL? You mentioned resegmentation and their focus on the CDA channel. Yeah,
1: they've, uh, you know, redone. They've got some new people on their management team. Uh, one of them is a fellow named S- Scott Ramirez, who I know uh, back from when he used to work from Toshiba. And what they've done is they've had, you know, two series, three series, four series, five series, six series, seven, you know, series with a number. What they've done now is they have two broader categories, S series, which is the value line, and the Q series, which are the higher end line. And, you know, I could rattle off the features, but I think you could probably guess that's um, more gaming features, uh, more dimming zones, uh, you know, More micro LED and a better picture. So, what they're doing is trying to hit a different segment of the market with the S series and the Q series. And one of the things that was interesting uh, for people listening here, perhaps, is that they announced for the first time that they've incorporated things like. ability to do better uh, outside remote control and RS-232 and remote codes and things that are important to custom installers. And they will be going after the custom install market. I'm sure we'll see them uh, next year, in, uh, this next year, this year, uh, next year too, uh, at Cedia Expo in Denver. So that was uh, interesting to see them uh, uh, put their toe in the custom water.
0: And other uh, sort of surprise brands, you mentioned Sharp. Uh, yeah, uh, the Aquas, return of you-
1: Sharp. And yeah. Sharp, Along, my first flat panel TV was a Sharp yeah. uh, <laughs> way too long ago. And uh, they're now owned by Foxconn who are the people uh. that build all the that own the factories that build the iPhones but they have the technology they're bringing back the same kind of thing they're doing a sharp line and an aquos line and for those with longer memories aquos was their higher end line so they're doing let me see in my notes they're doing a broad range of sizes a standard line and ACOS as the custom line including You know, OLEDs, Uh, they will have some Roku. So that's yet another brand. Um, One thing that was interesting, just going back a little bit to CES, is that if you're familiar with shows, there's a thing called outboarding, where if you're a smaller company or maybe even a bigger company and you don't want to pay to exhibit at a show, you rent a hotel suite. You don't get listed Mm -hmm. in the directory, but it's a lot easier and cheaper. And Sharp was one of the people that in the olden days you would have considered outboard, but they were in a CES-sanctioned hotel with 5,000 square feet of exhibit space, but I didn't get over there because it was too dispersed. So that Mm. was, you know, but they were definitely there. The other two TV brands that I think are worth mentioning are Roku and Xperia, doing the same thing a little bit differently. Roku, I mean, right over here uh, to my right is a 48 inch Roku Series 5, which now would probably be an S series. And it's a tremendous value set with good performance, but it's a TCL set. And uh, mm. is it Roku TCL set or a TCL set with Roku? And what Roku is going to do is, will be doing, is bringing out Roku branded TV sets. So you will still have TCL and Hisense and many other brands using the Roku OS, but they're also going to bring out their own TV sets. I'm guessing more for the, and they wouldn't say precisely where these are going to land, but more for the club market or uh, mainstream. I wouldn't be surprised if we see them perhaps in Best Buy and in Costco and Sam's Club and those places. But, you know, everybody needs to remember Roku isn't a device company anymore. They're a streaming service device, a streaming service company and an advertising uh, company, and that's where they make their money. The streaming devices and the TVs are a means to an end, or the razors to the blades kind of analogy, but mm. you will be seeing those, uh, no question about it. experi a name perhaps not well known uh, outside of the industry, is taking a different tack. experi is the company that owns HT Radio, DTS, the IMAX home uh, thing, and TiVo, and w- um, there still are TiVo's, and there's the TiVo Stream, which is their little external streamer device. And they also have a lot of uh, uh, IP, uh, you know, uh, intellectual property. Uh, well, I guess uh, Internet Protocol too. But they have, but they have a lot of IP and uh, things that they do in the set-top box and guide business. And what they're going to do is license their OS. So that it won't be a TiVo TV. It will be a TV powered by by a TV, mix them up, a TV yeah. powered by TiVo. Say that fast three times.
0: Interesting. And the okay. reason
1: for that is that in the industry is what's called a white label. They're going to go to a set manufacturer. And initially, these will just be uh, European sets, uh, brands like Vestal, which is very big in Europe. And instead of having Vestal Vision or doing a a Roku or Google TV or Fire TV set, they're going to take the OS, brand it themselves, and it'll be a Vestal TV powered by TiVo. And that gives them the best of both worlds. They have a streaming operating system that's well-baked by somebody else that they just need to port into their TV set. And then they've got somebody who's, as I just said for Roku, somebody else who's gonna sell the ads and make the streaming service deals. So it'll be very interesting to see how that works and uh, if and and probably when it, it comes to the US. As an aside, just to make things crazy, the largest use, the, the largest, selling if you will streaming service people would say Roku but it's actually uh hmm could it be Samsung's Tizen which right now is only because they they sell a lot of TV sets so by mm-hmm. virtue of the TV spe- sets being sold with Tizen in it they're getting this large number of subscribers or users. The same for LG's webOS and then of course Fire TV, etc, cetera, etc, cetera. Apple, well Apple TV is the only Apple TV will be the only one that's a standalone device. Remember all the rumors <laughs> Apple's going to come out with a TV set. Yep. They never have. they didn't they haven't and they won't. Any more they <laughs> then they probably won't come out with a car Unlike some other manufacturer, and um, <laughs> but what they are doing, they um, Samsung and LG are they're going to license their operating system on a white label basis, so that just as you will have TV sets powered by TiVo, you may have some second or third tier brand powered by the same OS that is in a Samsung or LG set. So uh, streaming, I know you give me a hard time because I'm always about streaming these days, but that's where the money is. The money mm-hmm. is in the advertising and selling, uh, getting the money that the TV sets or the streaming devices get. There's, when you pick up a Roku remote or a Fire TV remote and there's a Netflix button on there, They don't do that because they're nice guys. (laughs) They get paid to do that. That's where the money is. So the dynamic of streaming and TVs and streaming devices is the the vessel is what's going to shape the industry going forward. And yet one more thing is that Charter, which is now a spectrum, and Comcast have Collaborated, or I think uh, uh, Charter uh, Comcast owns Zumo X U M O, and they're going okay. to get their own streaming service collaboration and true to form. Hisense in their display showed that they are making sets with pick them. Want Roku? Got it. Google TV? Got it. Android TV? Got it. Fire TV? Got it. In fact, on the side of their booth was a Toshiba set made by Hisense with Fire TV. So they're doing all of them. And that's really what's driving this thing. Um, do I need an external device? Topic for another article. But right, right, you're still going to need them. But the TV set manufacturers want to get they want to get really in the pool with this. Because that's where the money is. There's no money to be made by selling TV sets.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we can't leave without talking a little bit about audio.
1: Well, let me just do one more thing that I have on my list that I want to mention is um, micro LED. And
0: right. Which is a topic that you covered extensively in the article that's about to come out in the there magazine. There you go. Unfortunately,
1: us. there wasn't anything in the article that got outdated. Uh, but, <laughs> but Samsung, um, which really popularized this in the consumer world with the wall, but now everybody's yeah. in it, um, LG, Planar, uh, you know, a bunch of folk. Um, but they have announced after many uh uh, shows of speculation, they are going to uh, bring out a 77-inch uh, micro-LED. No price, no no other features, although you can guess, no price and delivery. And then in one of the press releases, they said they were going to do a micro-LED down to 50 inches. I'll believe it when I see it. But mm. uh, I mean, there's no technical barrier to that would prevent them from doing it other than it would be extremely pricey. But the fact that they're going to do a 77-inch micro-LED, I I think, is significant. Samsung also announced for those that like the QD OLED, which only Sony and Samsung have now, which Samsung just calls OLED, Um, they're going to have a 77-inch model, I believe. I'm going to look at my notes uh, yes, a seventy-six inch uh, CX mini LED, micro LED, and a seventy-seven inch QD OLED. So you'll get a larger uh, version of that. Uh, anything else in TVs, Matt? We could go on for either, but uh, let's go to uh, yeah. Let's do a little audio.
0: Well, your your old uh, employer, Harmon, um, always has a separate major ex- exhibit yes. offsite somewhere. Uh, did you happen to go by there? I know you visited them for us in person at their yeah, headquarters, it, so maybe it's not. It's the
1: same kind of thing. They were at what used to be the Hard Rock, which is now the Virgin Hotel. And I, I really wanted to get over there, but just didn't have the opportunity. Fortunately, I only live 10 miles from their headquarters, so maybe I'll go over there. Yeah. Uh, the one And they had you know the kinds of things that one would expect these days from Harman JBL in terms of Everything from, you know, little portable mini speakers uh, all the way up to, you know, the other things that JBL does of, you know, huge, uh, large venue arrays. One of the interesting things that they came out with was the JBL turntable uh, called the JBL BT. stands for Bluetooth. And mm-hmm. um, for anyone who was at Cedia, they, you would have seen the Victrola which is the Sonos-connected turntable. And now JBL is coming out with one. So I guess that just leaves me to say that vinyl is the new streaming.
0: <laughs> Very good. Yeah, so you so you have your, your vinyl playing and you just stream it uh, wirelessly to the speakers. Right. The, like the Vitrola
1: speakers. Uh, goes to... Um, your Sonos, Sonos or and both right. of these in fairness have, uh, preamp outputs, uh, and they have decent specs as turntables and, uh, fairly well-regarded cartridges. And the uh, JBL one is Bluetooth. Now the only complaint that I have is, but that means I have to get up every 30 minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah. that That's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, LPs and CDs went away in the first. Yeah, place, but they're so. coming
1: back. The last,
0: year, it, you know, it's, last year was it's the you... biggest
1: year for vinyl in recent history. They can't make enough of them.
0: Yeah, my kids into it. Um, freshman in high school. I go. think it's just the the tangible thing. It's not necessarily the analog aspect of it. That's maybe an auto, audio oh, file to be sure. Uh, benefit. But it's for the kids, I think it's just having something to look at and hold on to Yeah, but they and- probably
1: like little pull the little Fuji uh Polaroid like cameras. I mean that's sure. the same um you know age group that are into that. But yep. there was yep. There's- one other audio thing is Dirac uh is yep. introducing a new version of their technology called audio room treatment. Um it's only going to be available when it launches in a fairly expensive uh, piece from Storm Audio, but it'll be uh, more widely available towards the end of the year. But, um, you know, it's just something to be on the lookout for because it really uh, did sound quite good.
0: Yeah. I was curious about that because we did do an interview um, last week on the podcast with uh, someone from Dirac on that technology and other stuff from Dirac, but it, reduces some of the the issues with the bass yes, and, and, and and listening. And on. with
1: many of these things when it's described before they start the demo, you know, your brain's going, "Ah, oh, come on, really?" <laughs> but it it really did make a make a, a difference. So, um, you, know, to, cheap, hear, you know, not great to hear, yeah. Not cheap but yeah. good.
0: Right, right. And uh, there's a lot of folks with the high-end receivers that that use that Dirac technology in there to, to basically tune their room right. and the sides right, to right. it. Um, so to kind of wrap up, um, I feel like matter is a whole other discussion and it's something that's evolving and Wi-Fi 7, I know those are a couple of things that you kind of uh, uh, to Topics for
1: another day, but before we run yeah. out of time, um, matter was everywhere, but so is HCA. Not as everywhere-ish, but this melded into all the majors. Um, Well, Sony didn't have TV sets in their booth. Um, LG, Samsung, TCL, Hisense, were all really focusing on matter as the means of bringing everything into the TV as the control point. And now they've been showing that for maybe seven or eight years now, but with Wi-Fi 6, 6E, 7 coming, I did see quickly the first Wi-Fi 7 devices that are going to be available uh, in the spring um, and matter everywhere.
0: Yeah. So it's it's a promise of everyone working with the same protocol for control, essentially, is what matter means. and One would finally um, hope.
1: That that what was missing that came to the fore at CES were the products with it built in, just as there were more products with Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi 6E is great, but if you don't have any devices that can receive it, don't go nowhere. But there was more 6E, more matter, some home connectivity alliance, mostly in the appliance world. Um, And, you know, and then that fills in with the internet of everything.
0: And the internet of toilets. Yeah. Do we want to end there? Cause I think that would be a fun. Well, to
1: wrap up. Um, I want to do one or two of those things is <laughs> there was one booth that had a big sign that said, IOT now naturally <laughs> to us, that means something. And then below it, it said, internet of toilets, <laughs> you know, it's cocktail party talk. There was down in the Eureka Park area the industrial after look at this to read it correctly. The industrialized edible insect factory farm. Now this isn't like the old ant farm that you had on your desk. This is a big industrial park-sized automated farm to produce edible insects.
0: Okay. Yeah, that
1: was, yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, <laughs> Then there were some interesting things. There was, if you're, um, you have a daughter, don't you? Yes. Okay. So I'm sure that at some point she asked or somebody gave her one of those little music boxes with the ballerina that twirls around and it plays little tinkle, tinkle music. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an IoT music box now with that same sort of uh, mechanism where it's those metal tines that is the drum wheels. Well, you take that concept and you take, I'm sure everybody's seen the Yamaha player pianos that where you put a, well, now you don't put a disc in, but you know, the Yamaha kind of player pianos that are playing back music digitally. If those two uh, concepts had a love child, it would be (laughs) the MIDI controlled music box. And you play music from your phone, you play content from your phone and it plays on the music box, or you have a MIDI keypad and you can compose music for a music box. And you know, okay, that's cool. There was a um, smart surfboard. Um, the smartest thing I do is not go on a surfboard anymore. <laughs> um, there, what's it? Tra- what's it keep track of? I have no idea how many times I, you. I, cra- have, you have abs- I have absolutely no idea. Um, okay. There was a lot of battery storage. There was a lot of um, kitchen stuff. LG, again, some uh, of the viewers, listeners may have seen LG, I don't remember the name of it, has something which is like an in-home dry cleaner. And it's a big closet where you open the door, you hang your clothes, you close the door, and it sanitizes and cleans them. And, and they've actually gotten some traction for that. Now they have a similar device for shoes. Now, I could neither afford the device or the shoes that would warrant being put in there, but clearly that this wasn't a goof. This was a real product. And you know, I'm sure that in a high-end custom home CD CD guys, CD people, um, that'll be an interesting thing. Uh, What else? There was one thing and again, just because it's the way that I characterize these things, there was a lot of pet stuff. And Mm -hmm. there was one thing that looked like sort of one of those open-top deep fryers. But picture if an open-top deep fryer, a KitchenAid stand mixer, and a Keurig also had a love child, it would (laughs) be a thing where you put water in, you put in the pet food, you close the lid, it mixes it and cooks it, and then a bowl pops out and you have dog food. You know, okay, you know, good for them. Um, oh, and GE, well, who, which licensee has it? There was a GE Profile stand mixer, like a, uh, not Cuisinart, like a KitchenAid uh, with a dough hook and all of that. It was a thousand bucks, but Why was it smart? It had a scale built in. So if you're making something, as you pour the ingredients in, it will tell you how much you put in. It'll use AI, to your earlier question, to judge the consistency. Is the dough ready? Are the egg whites whipped properly? And, you know, it's interesting. There's a market for everything. $1,000, a little bit out of my price range, but- It was well-built, and there are people that value that and will buy it. So, you know, CES, you never know. I'm just looking at my nose. You never know what you're going to find.
0: And, you know, there's always somebody that needs something that has everything. So that's what these do. These fill in those gaps for the person that has everything. And if you need a a very expensive shoe uh, deodorizer, I guess that's um, something that some spouse is gonna buy there.
1: If you need it spouse. and you can afford it and it does something that you want, good for you.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well I think that we've covered a lot of ground and and we can talk again and get into more details as uh, as things evolve and become real. But uh, Michael, thank you My so pleasure. much for taking the time out. Thanks for going to CES so we didn't have to.
1: It's called taking one for the team. Yeah.
0: And I hope you have a great 2023.
1: You too. And and to all the uh, listeners and viewers, they did hand out COVID tests. There were guys from Abbott Labs handing out COVID tests. So as soon as we're done, I'm going to take one.
0: I've thought of all the great Chotskys over the years, and that's that's probably one of the worst <laughs> I can think of.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, but unfortunately, I mean, I did wear a mask, but I was there according to CES with 115,000 people, and I, I'm not joking. I'm going to make sure that this just isn't a cold because of the, the weather out here in L.A., and you know. Yeah. but hopefully all is good.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, My Mike. Pleasure. Have a great, great rest of your <laughs> you day. too. Michael Hayes is a CDF fellow and Lifetime Achievement Award recipient as a, and a contributing editor to Residential Tech Today. And that wraps up today's show. Special thanks to Pretty Easy Podcast for producing and editing this episode. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the weekly podcast on your preferred platform and consider rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Also, check out all the latest Residential Tech news at the magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine, and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.